0: It's kind of nice to walk out with Paul playing and singing. So, Well, well good morning. You know, one of my favorite uh, comic strips is Calvin and Hobbes. I've got a couple of, uh, his, of those books, the comic strip books in my, in my office. And um, uh, I want to begin with uh, describing one of the, the strips, the cartoon strips. Calvin is swinging on a swing in the schoolyard, and there's a bully named Mo. And Mo wants to use the swing. And so Mo tells Calvin, get off the swing, Twinkie. Calvin responds, forget it, Mo. wait your turn. And the next frame has no words. There's just a picture of, of uh, a large, a huge punch that sends Calvin spinning off of the swing. And the last frame has Calvin on the ground with a black eye saying, sometimes it's hard to be religious when certain people are never incinerated by bolts of lightning. <laughs> isn't, isn't that the truth? You know, Uh, Calvin is captured with humor, somewhat dark humor, what the theologians call the problem of evil. Ergo, why do bad things happen in the world? And specifically, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do seemingly sometimes you look around and those who rebel against God, who thumb their nose at God, why do they why do they prosper? You know, Habakkuk. We're going to be looking at Habakkuk today as we continue our immerse reading through the Old Testament prophets. Habakkuk, his name means wrestler or embracer. He wrestled with big questions. He wrestled with God. He, he, he wrestled with the things he saw around him. Why are these things happening? Where is God in the midst of it? He he looks at the state of his people and the world around him, and, and he begins his book with this. There's three short chapters. He begins by saying this, asking these questions. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. So he begins with these these big questions. He's wrestling with these big questions, questions that we often ask ourselves. People have done this for centuries. Why? 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 And, and, and how long is this going to persist? How long is this going to take before you know, God makes things right? How, how long and why? Now, a little bit about Habakkuk in his context. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. He's tucked between Nahum and Zephaniah. And he was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember that uh, the people of God, Israel, they kind of split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom. Uh, 10 tribes of israel were in the north and they've already been hauled off these top you know, the 10 tribes in the north they've already been hauled off into exile by Snacherib, who was king of the assyrians a very wicked man who really tortured people and read upon his history he's a pretty bad dude and they've been hauled off because of they've been rebelling against god they've ignored god they've called evil good and good evil and they've Rebelled against God, they've fallen into morality and idolatry and, and injustice. And, and apparently Judah, the, two, the southern kingdom, the two tribes down there, Benjamin and Judah, where Jerusalem was, they haven't learned a thing from their brothers and sisters in the north. And so God reveals to Habakkuk that his country, his people, they're going to be invaded, they're going to be pillaged, they're going to be ransacked, they're going to be hauled off into exile. And this is going to be done by, he says, by Babylon. And this blows Habakkuk away. I mean, Assyria is bad. But Babylon is worse. They're the most evil, wicked people in the whole area. And, and God's going to hand them over to them and they're going to lose everything. They're going to it's all going to be gone. And, and, and Habakkuk, this is almost too much for him to handle. I mean, he understands he's not denying that the people of Israel, of Judah, they need to, you know, pay We've created this mess. We've rebelled against you. We understand that consequences have to come, that we're going to be, you know, disciplined for this. But does it have to be Babylon? I mean, they're super, super wicked. Why, why is this going to happen? I can't, it's just too much for him to take in. And so we see in these three short chapters, Habakkuk moves from a place of questioning and doubt and confusion at the beginning to at the end, a place of of faith and hope and confidence by the end of the book. Uh, J. Burnham McGee says this about Habakkuk. He says it begins with a question mark and it closes with an exclamation point. And So I hope that, that you and I, as we look at this briefly, uh, really easy book to read, three chapters, okay, the, that we will take the same journey with him this morning um, as we move from Questions to more of an exclamation point from doubts and concerns and to more of a place of faith, I mean those questions are always going to be there, but but they will move to a place where we trust and have faith and so the question we 're asking today is how do you and I how do we live by faith during difficult, hard times when we experience what Habakkuk experienced? you know you look around the world and think, why is this happening and I don't this doesn't make sense to me. And you have concerns about everything going on. I think we can relate. So we're going to begin by reading a few verses towards the end of Habakkuk, chapter three, verses 16 through 19. And before we do that, real quickly, the key verse of this whole uh, book of Habakkuk is chapter two, verse four. This is one of the verses you might recognize. Most of us don't really know much about Habakkuk. But this is the verse. It's kind of a hinge point. and You start to see him move from questions to faith. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. And other versions say the just will live by faith. They'll walk by faith. So let's pick it up in Habakkuk chapter 3. This is Habakkuk speaking. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day. When disaster will strike the people who invade us, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread. Upon the heights. Let's jump right in. How do we live by faith in the midst of crazy, perplexing, confusing times? We take a cue from Habakkuk. Wait patiently for God. Wait patiently. Now remember, he's just received horrible news. They're going to be run over and destroyed by Babylon. And so when he hears this, this judgment that's coming, he's overcome by fear. His his knees buckle, his his heart sinks, his lips quiver. Maybe maybe you can relate. Maybe you've had an experience where you got a phone call, and it just knocks you back. You weren't expecting it. It's not good news, and your you know your knees buckle almost literally. You, you, You don't know what to say. You're disoriented. Your head's spinning. Your heart sinks. That that's what's happening with Habakkuk here. You remember the first lines of uh, Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities? It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Well, this is the worst of times, and this is the worst of times. So how do you exercise faith in God during the worst of times? And Habakkuk comes to a place where he says, wait patiently for God. Now, How how can he do that? When he knows what's coming, he, he's waiting for th- what's he waiting for? Look at the second half of verse 16. Yet I will wait quietly for the coming day... When disaster will strike the people who invade us. Now, this, this day when God struck down the Babylonians and there was justice for what they've done to the people of Israel, it didn't come for several decades. Habakkuk, we don't know for sure, but it, most likely he wasn't still alive. So he was waiting patiently for something that he didn't get to see in all likelihood. And that's some way the way promises work. Don't you know, right? I mean, there, we are, there are certain promises of God and we want to see them fulfilled immediately, right? Or, or the next few months. Sometimes they may not become fulfilled until after we die. Are we willing to trust God that far? I will wait patiently. Instead of allowing his heart to continue to be shaken by fear and anxiety, Habakkuk chose to settle his heart on God's promises. Yet I will. Next, how do you live by faith in the midst of hard times? Let's look at verses 17 and 18 again. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, no grapes in the vines, olive crop fails, fields barren and empty, flocks die, cattle barns empty, he says, yet I will rejoice. In the Lord, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. He chooses to rejoice in God. And so leading up to this, there's this this series of escalating problems. Fig trees, grapes, olives, perennial crops, they're gone. Yet I will. Annual crops like wheat and barley, the source of most of their calories, gone. Yet I will. They're livestock, all dead, yet I will rejoice. You know, it's easy to trust God when the fig trees budding and the grapes are on the vine and the cattle are reproducing and everything's good in your life and world. But are you really trusting God at those times? Or are you just trusting in the things you have and the things you think you're going to have? This is exactly the question Satan asks about Job. Remember the story of Job in the Old Testament. Job is blessed beyond imagining. He's wealthy. He's got a lot of kids, and they're married. He, he's got a great life. People think highly of him. Everybody, he, I mean, he's the man. People, he has a great sterling reputation, and he's a man of faith. And, and Satan comes to God and says, "You know, the only reason he, he he worships you, the only reason he has faith in you, is because you've blessed him so much. You know." So take away these things from him and let's let's see what his faith is made of. God allows it. Everything's gone. Job wrestles with it for a while. He wrestles with it. But he comes to a place where he says the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you just trust God when he gives and he blesses? Or do you trust God when things are taken away? I mean, what do you do when everything that you're counting on is taken away? When all you're depending upon is gone and there is no prospect of recovering it. Habakkuk says, even if everything is taken away, yet I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord. Take joy in this, of the Lord of my salvation. That's astounding. There's a story about a missionary named Alan Gardner. In 1851, he was shipwrecked on an uninhabited island off the tip of South America where Patagonia is. Very rough area, rough waters, rough ocean, rough uh, weather. And he and the other survivors, they slowly starved to death one by one. Uh, he was the last one to starve to death. And he kept a journal. They found a journal by his body. His last journal entry said was from... Psalm 34:10, the young lions suffer want and hunger. Think about that. He's starving to death. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And the last thing he wrote in his journal after that entry was, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. How's that possible? Well, apparently, joy is not just something that happens to us that's based upon our circumstances and our blessings. But it is at least partly volitional, volitional. We, we exercise our faith. We pull it out of the closet and we put it to work. The righteous, the just, they live by by faith, by their faith in, in God. Now notice that Habakkuk's fear in verse 16, where his knees are shaking and quaking and his lips are quivering. it's It's moving to faith here now. Now let's not move past the fear too quickly because fear is normal. It's a normal response to tough things, to scary things. When we lose something, when we go through something tragic, of course, fear, anxiety, worry—that's that's a natural response. You look at the Bible. David had some fear and worry. So did Gideon. So did. So did Paul. I mean, but the key is to move through that fear to faith. And and we see something here. It tells us something about the nature of of Habakkuk's faith here. F.F. Bruce, a Christian theologian, writes this, It is right and proper to voice appreciation of God's goodness when he bestows all that is necessary for life, health, and prosperity. Yeah, praise God when he blesses us. But when these things are lacking, to rejoice in God for his own sake is evidence of pure faith. Even when we don't feel like it, even when there seems to be no reason for it, we can choose to rejoice in God and, and take our joy in, in him. That's, that's what Habakkuk is doing here. He's allowing God to be God and he rejoices in him. Nothing has changed on the outside. Destruction is kill, still coming for Jerusalem. That's too late. The warnings have ceased. It's, it's going to happen. But Habakkuk has changed on the inside. His posture when all else fails, find your joy in the only thing that never fails, which is God himself. Next, how do we live by faith in the midst of hard times? let take a look at verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Now, what does Habakkuk mean when he says he makes my feet like the deer's? You know, many of you know I like to hike and backpack and camp in the mountains, and um, there are places that I won't go because it wouldn't be wise. You know, uh, but you see bighorn sheep or mountain goats, and they're perched on these sheer cliff faces, a tiny little ledge, and it is perched there, calm, at ease, at peace, not worried, very confident, and they just bounce around, move around with it like it's nothing. How are they able to do that? Well, they've got incredibly strong legs like springs. But that wouldn't mean anything, no matter how strong they were, unless they had these special feet. There's these, there's these tough cloven hooves. They're not hurt by any sort of sharp rocks. doesn't bother them, no pain at all. And they, they're able to grip with these hooves, even small outcroppings, because God designed their feet for climbing. They don't slip. They don't fall. Habakkuk rejoices that that his feet are made like a deer's feet, that he is designed by God to travel over the high ground. What does he mean by treading on the high places? He's talking about difficult, challenging place, a place you would not want to go unless it was absolutely necessary. You wouldn't choose to go there. You might climb to a high place to gain you know, defensible ground in a battle, but only go there if you can avoid, but only go there if you can't avoid it. So, so high places here means a difficult, challenging place. It has this idea that, that, that when he says that God makes me tread on high places, that, that God allows or causes or whatever it might be, how you look at it, these difficult things in his life and his world and, and that. And because of that, he has to go places he normally wouldn't want to go or choose to go, like exile in Babylon. But he says that God strengthens him to go to these places and do things that he would not be able to do in his own strength. Okay? Question for you Do you want to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ? Do you want to mature in your faith in Christ? The only way that's going to happen probably is going to higher places. And it might be that God needs to strip your life of the things you love and depend upon so that he's your only joy and delight. Or it might be that God needs to take you to places you would rather not go, but he will lead you and he will strengthen you. He will make your feet sure like a, a deer's. If you let him, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the theme of Habakkuk there's an old devotional book called High and Speed in High Places by Hannah Hernard. it's an allegory, sort of like Pilgrim's Progress I uh, actually read through it back when I was in college and uh, the central character is this young girl named Much Afraid, you can tell by her name, timid, kind of fearful given into worry and her story begins in the Valley of Fear and she wants to grow in a relationship with God, she wants to go to the high places and Her her path is marked by sorrow and temptation and dangers and, and all these things and suffering. But she learns to depend upon God and to find her strength in him alone as she moves forward and upward into difficult things. And ultimately, the payoff is that she has an incredible depth of intimacy and love with God that she's always longed for. You see, faith believes and faith trusts. Faith believes that God is, is too wise to make a mistake, that God is too loving and kind to be cruel. God is always in control, and that God always knows the best and has the best timing. Now, this last one, I want to talk about it briefly, the God's timing, knowing best, because we often get impatient. We don't wait patiently. We, we try to impose our timetable on God, and when we do that, we get into trouble. Think about it this way. You know, if you see a cocoon hanging from a tree, you know there's a moth or butterfly inside, right? And, um, if you see that the, there's a butterfly inside and it's struggling to get out and you can, you know, it gets transparent. You can see that, you know, oh, I feel bad for the butterfly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help him out. And you kind of open the cocoon and, well, you hurt him. Because the only way they get strong enough to, to survive and to fly is through the struggle. In the struggle, they gain strength to, become what they're created to be and to do what they're created to do, which is to fly, to show beauty. Think of it this way as well. If you're a parent, do you bail your kid out of every single tough situation? If you do, stop it. (laughs) It's hard to do, but, you know, when they're little, of course, but as they grow older, do you bail them out of every hard situation or do you lovingly and carefully and wisely allow them, as they grow and mature, to help them learn and to develop and to grow stronger and to deepen their faith. When we don't understand God's purposes, when we ask why we are to trust his heart. Because there will be times when the fig doesn't produce fruit, won't we grapes, fields won't produce food, sheep are going to die. And you've got a choice. What do you do? Get angry with God and walk away? Curse him? He's a wicked, vindictive, random, arbitrary God. Or you can choose to rejoice that you have God and in him you've got everything that you need. Many of you might know the story of Jeremy Camp, a really famous, very wonderful songwriter, Christian songwriter, singer, and his wife, Melissa. Four months after they were married, she died of an aggressive cancer and they they 'd asked thousands of people, you know social media, or whatever it might be, churches, prayer chains, asked thousands of people to pray for her healing and There were a couple of times when it seemed like she was turning the corner and I thought oh, she 's going to beat this, but the cancer returned with a vengeance, and she died four months after they walked the aisle in the wake of her death. Jeremy Camp had a crisis of faith, understandably so he he struggled with what he believed and Why would God allow this to happen? I mean, she was an amazing Christian woman. He was trying to serve God and all, had the whole lives ahead of them. But a note from his now deceased wife reminded him that God was good even in this. And he wrote the powerful song, I Still Believe. Let me quote a few of his lyrics. Scattered words and empty thoughts seem to pour from my heart. I've never felt so torn before. Seems I don't know where to start. But it's now that I feel your grace falls like heaven from every fingertip, washing away my pain. Though the questions still fog up my mind with promises I still seem to bear, even when answers slowly unwind, it's my heart I see you prepare. But it's now that I feel your grace fall like rain from every fingertip, washing away my pain. And in the chorus. I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your truth. I still believe... In your holy word, even when I don't see, I still believe. How do we live by faith in the midst of hard times? Learn from Habakkuk. Say, yet I will. Yet I will rejoice. Yet I will wait patiently. Yet I will trust. Yet I will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness, your justice. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your love. Father, we too, like Habakkuk, often have questions as we look around the world. We look at our lives. We look... What's going on, Father? We ask why and how long. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us in our faith, that you would help us to wait patiently on you and your timing, to rely upon your promises. Help us, O Lord, to to rejoice in you uh, um, despite circumstances. And Lord, when we go through these tough times, we trust in you that you will strengthen us. You'll make us sure like a, a deer's foot on, on the cliffs. That you'll help us to go through the high places, Father. So we trust in you. And we offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.